Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Netflix and Grill. I am your host, Michael Drysdale, and this is episode 1.2. That's right, part two of three of episode one of season two of Netflix and Grill. It is, of course, a part of the Black Panther Megapod that I put up yesterday, but I wanted to do it slightly different for you today. I wanted to deliver it in some bite-sized pieces, which might make it more shareable for you. So rather than sharing the whole thing, you just listen to it, find your favorite part, find the interview that you like the most, and part that on. Before I get into this specific interview, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Americanized.tv, which is the umbrella publication under which Netflix now resides, as long as well as a whole bunch of other shows and articles and content that will be coming out in the coming months. We have a very simple mission. It is to evolve the cultural identity of Australia by inspiring a new generation of entrepreneurs, storytellers, and sports people with conversations and content. Basically, Every single time you watch something of ours, listen to something of ours, or read something of ours, we want you to end it feeling uplifted and inspired to make your own stuff. Today, I am interviewing a very good friend of mine and an awesome uh, social entrepreneur and also just a, a standout guy. His name is Tawanda. I know him from here in Perth, and this is an awesome interview. Really, really interesting. Tawanda has some amazing stories to tell about his own experience, having uh, initially grown up in Zimbabwe until he was 12 before moving to Australia to Kalgoorlie, of all places, and then much later coming here to Perth, Western Australia, to study. And that whole journey for him and what Black Panther uh, has done for him in watching it and uh, what he has learnt over his many years of uh, experiencing and working out life. It's been it's a really fantastic conversation. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you share it. This was uh, a true joy to be a part of. And uh, yeah, without further ado, with no more gilding the lily, let's get into it. All right, so we are back and I have another guest who has just walked into the studio. His name is Tawanda. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, Tawanda, welcome to Netflix and Grill. Amazing, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Now, Bud, um, the audience know nothing about you, so why don't you give us a little introduction, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so um, so I'm still trying to figure, figure life out. I'll be totally honest mm-hmm. with you, but, um, but at the moment, I um, actually just started a, a social venture. So it's called LNT Brands. There's a little plug for you. But <laughs> basically, we sell like outdoor recreational gear, whether it be for camping, hiking, etc. And then the proceeds we give to an off-for-profit that rehabilitates the environment. So that's awesome. a bit about myself, and um, but otherwise still trying to figure everything out. Yeah, awesome. And now um, we have both recently seen this film. Mm-hmm. How long ago since you've seen it? Um, I saw it last week, Friday, so less than a week ago. And just jumping straight into it, what? How, how did the experience of watching the film, what, what did that do to you? What was the, the overriding feeling when you were walking out of the cinema? Okay, well, right off the bat, actually, before I went into it, I remember just hearing a lot of different reviews from people. Mm. But right off the bat, I think as soon as you sort of walk into the cinema, you kind of feel a sense of pride, or for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and as far as walking out of the cinema, I was I was really, really proud because I got to see um, a superhero, I guess, that looks like me, you mm. know? And, um, and that was a really, really cool feeling because... Mm. I've got my auntie, who I'll tell you a little bit about a little later, and but she's very much into um, into diversity. But I had never really understood what that meant until I watched this movie, and um, yeah, wow, so, sense of pride. 
Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, I, I've been talking to so more blessing a, a bit before I spoke to you mm. today um, about exactly that, about diversity, about representation. One of the big things that I talked about with her was that before this film, if you have this many African cast members in a film or in a mm-hmm. TV series, mm-hmm. we're looking at three things. You're looking mm-hmm. at servants, slaves or criminals, mm. typically speaking. And that Absolutely. is just an epic fail on Hollywood's part right. to be able to actually capture the potential and the and the wonder and the complexity and the three-dimensionality of any race mm-hmm. or any gender or any thing where you tempted to just throw a blanket on it and say stereotype. Oh, totally, totally. And so tell me a little, I mean, just to, just to, to run through the list of like scientists, spy, general, leader, king, uh, elder, you know, wise, respected political leaders, mm-hmm. all of these things that you got to see that kind of diverse representation across the board. I mean, what does that feel like? Dude, I'll be, I'll be completely honest. Like it's, it's such an amazing feeling because this is, or should I say that is the real Africa, you know, mm. um, Africa is full of those Kings. It is, it is full of, um, diversity. It is full of scientists. It is full of people that are doing a lot more than just, being slaves or mm. just just being stereotyped in, in, in one particular way. And mm. I think, unfortunately, Hollywood has really kind of failed um, failed to, to portray that side of, of life because while slavery did happen, that is a very small aspect of, of, of the African culture, you know. Mm. And, um, and I think this movie really captured what Africa today looks like. Like, I remember, I think uh, I was listening to an interview yesterday or the day before and and the the interviewer um said something along the lines of is this showing us a future a futuristic africa and the interviewee was actually like no it's showing what africa looks like today mm-hmm. you know and and i loved that she kind of changed the question because it wasn't a wrong question but it just wasn't um worded very correctly and and uh, for me i think that is what what Africa looks like today, and 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 it's just an amazing thing because when we think about what's happening today, you've got Oprah and her. Um, I think it was like the Oscars or, or whatever it was, like where she she made that really powerful speech during the the mm. Times Up sort of um, campaign. The Golden and, Globes, yeah, right, Golden Globes. There you go. And and what was really cool about that was when she made that speech, she she kind of referenced herself as a young little girl watching. Um, I forget who the who the actress was, but mm. pretty much um, getting this this prestigious award and her thinking, wow, that's really really cool. And now she's like, hey, this is now lots of little um, young black girls get to see me saying the same thing and showing them that this is really possible, you know. And and I can't help but wonder uh, what that does for a lot of young young children, young kids, young people growing up in in a world where they get to see black people. In, in, in strong roles, you know, black women in strong roles, not only women, but also mm. black women, you mm. know, and it's it's such a cool, cool feeling, hey. And just the ability, I guess, to recalibrate what's possible. Oh, absolutely. Based on that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Because it is so easy to base what you think is possible based on what you see in the media. Right. Oh, dude, absolutely. Like when you think about, like, let's look at Disney, for instance. I remember I went through this this little phase where, where, it's funny how sometimes life will will um will start to to throw these different things these different coincidences if you will uh, 
along your path or whatever. And then it, they cause you to really think about things. Like, for instance, Disney. When you look at all the characters in Disney, they're all pretty, they're all good looking, glammed up, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then it, it makes you sort of wonder, what does that do for, for young kids, you know, growing up? Whether they're black, white, Asian, whatever, you name it. But what does that do for, for little kids growing up seeing that, okay, a blonde, blue eyes um, is, is the standard, you know? Mm. And, and I think this is starting to, to sort of shift that, that mindset and it's causing people to very well, very much so, like recalibrate what it looks like to be beautiful, to be powerful, to, to have success, to have money and that kind of thing. So, yeah. I think the, I think the last, the, the, the one remaining uh, bastion when it's all said and done, mm-hmm. Hollywood's making strides in a lot of different areas, but I think physical beauty will be one of the oh. last oh. battles of diversity and yep. because it's like, oh no, we can't sell a movie based on a, you know, unattractive right. person. No, <laughs> yeah. not at all. That's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, just the more inclusion, inclusionary nature, that's not, I probably, that's probably not even a yeah. word, let's, but let's coin it. Let's, yeah, there you go. <laughs> inclusionary. That's uh, it's a Netflix and grill world. Yep. Uh, it's, it's great. And it's, it's amazing to see. Now tell me a little bit about, the movie itself, like let's dig in. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan Coogler, the director, Chadwick Boseman starring as T'Challa, Black Panther, Michael B. Jordan mm-hmm. starring mm-hmm. as Killmonger. Yeah. Um, where, where, throughout the film, how did you bounce around that uh, kind of power imbalance, that kind of battle, the main argument of the film between T'Challa and... Because and, you're a very peaceful man uh-huh. as far as i can tell <laughs> yeah. well, um, i like to be <laughs> <laughs> but between t'challa and killmonger how did you bounce around that argument and rationalize it in your head mm. um you know it i feel like it wasn't the the standard run-of-the-mill sort of mm. you get the bad guy you get the good guys and the, the good guy gets the girl etc et like it while it did have certain elements of that it you know for a little while there i kind of struggled because when they caught unfortunately i don't really ever remember characters names or anything but then there's there's a guy who originally sort of i guess went into wakanda and managed to survive and he stole some vibranium he for me when i first sort of sat down and the movie started he was the bad guy yeah you know but then when they caught him like right early on and i was i was like oh okay what are we going to do now? Like there's, there's no bad guy, you know? But then I think for me, then seeing um, old mate Michael B. Jordan mm. as the bad guy, it kind of, and yet he was part of the, the culture by birth and all that fun stuff. It, it really got me, got me to think um, of the, the, the sheer fact that the, the fight or the, the, this, this dynamic of like good versus evil mm. is coming from within and not necessarily mm. from, from the outside world. And, and I really loved or enjoyed the fact that it had almost nothing to do with, uh, with, with, with the Western world, mm-hmm. if you will. You know, it, totally. was, it was all coming from, from, from the inside. And, and there's something to be said about that because I think for, for so long we've, we've now understood, we've always understood Africa as, as either super corrupt they're no good guys or it's great. They're no bad guys, you know, but then it's really cool because we're now starting to see Africa as, Hey, we, we, we're all going through the same struggles. They are the good and they're the bad sort of instances in, in mm-hmm. life and that kind of thing. But I love that it didn't require or it didn't take, 
um, the Western world having to come on in to fix that dynamic. Yeah, and, definitely. Um, yeah. But also like beyond that as well, mm. one of the things that I loved about it was that Killmonger is really a monster of the Wakandans and society's creation, mm. right? Together, mm-hmm. um, they're both responsible. And, that, and yet he has these deeply motivated actions that weren't simply chaotic and anarchistic, but they actually deeply felt intentional and defensible. Yeah. Yeah. And that was the kind of most interesting thing about the movie and why I think he's probably one of the best villains in the entire MCU mm-hmm. uh, is that even though Michael B. Jordan occasionally, I'm just going to put it out there, sometimes he was like turned up to 11 <laughs> on the acting dial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm coming, I'm coming for the throne. Right. Um, <laughs> just a couple of things where it was like, oh, you really, you're playing this up. Yeah. But nonetheless the way that it was written and the way that it was portrayed and the way that uh it came through in the story was that this is a conversation this is not Mm. a machiavellian bad guy Mm -hmm. uh and a angel abraham lincoln good guy Mm -hmm. um this is a a conversation going on and then also that killmonger you know the the end result of his actions that the wakandans change their ways they stop the Mm -hmm. uh they they put an end to their policy of isolationism right? and they agree to share their knowledge and technology with the world, which opens up a whole can of beans for the next film, which is kind right. of fascinating to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I love that. I, I want to know a little bit more. You mentioned your auntie earlier. Mm-hmm. Have you always lived in Australia? Uh, so, no, I haven't. So I was actually born in, in Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I, I grew up in, in Australia. So I grew up in like a very small mining town. And as far as my experiences, majority of my experiences in my life growing up has always been in Australia. Yeah. Um, so we moved here when I was about 12. So I've spent most of my life here in Australia. And, and I guess that does something to you uh, as a young kid because... For, I guess, the first part of your life, you grow up with people that kind of look like you, mm. majority of people anyway, and then you move to a world where virtually nobody looks like you. And yeah. when we first moved to uh, to Kalgoorlie, I think I was probably the, the only one of maybe, I don't know, five or a handful of people that actually looked like me. So, right. so it was a totally different world. Hey? Yeah, and, fascinating. Um, yeah. And tell me about your auntie. What was the, What's the story there? Okay, so... I actually moved to uh, to Perth uh, to study in about t- like in 2011, and and that's where my auntie pretty much took me in because mm-hmm. at first I moved on campus, but then it just I just wasn't like connecting very well there, and I just didn't feel at, like in, in the right place and the right element. So so my auntie uh, took me into a home, and then just I guess if you will turn open like a, a huge can of, can of worms, and it just kind of opened my mind and my eyes up to to what was actually happening in the world versus me just growing up in this little bubble because right. the 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 beauty and the downfall of of like those smaller communities is you get to see uh, you, you you're very protected in in terms of mm-hmm. what's actually happening in the real world uh, but then at the same time though it's it kind of leaves you very naive to to what's really happening and and for me being with with my auntie it was it was fantastic because she's very into diversity that is that is what she does and and it was beautiful because she would take me on 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 these on these journeys and i remember one of the one of the events she took me to was um uh, this this 
I guess this training session called Courageous Conversations um, on Race. And it was that transformed everything because we it was a room full of people from everywhere, every color, you name it. But what was beautiful was was it was okay for us to actually talk candidly about race mm-hmm. and and what that actually looks like and wh- how we all identify and and why it's okay to identify like that. Then we did this little test where we the guy would ask us questions and then we would kind of write it down on a on a piece of, like write our answers down on a piece of paper like from 1 to 10 how we identified with with his question and based on my experiences i actually majority of of what i had gone through i sort of identified with with what like i would just say like what white people um would have identified with right. and then that was a total shift for me because i was like wait a second how is it that i've experienced how is it that I feel like my experiences are totally different to the people that look like me? Yeah. Have I been living in that much of a, of a bubble that I've just kind of coined everything as, Oh no, that was just a coincidence that that person treated me like that, you know? Mm. So it really sort of transformed my life in that way. And, um, yeah. And I'm very grateful for my auntie for that. Yeah. Right. Mm. Woke a little bit like a a woke moment. Oh, absolutely, man. Like it, it, it actually kind of terrified me because, Mm. because I thought to myself, have I not been living these these last I don't know how old I was twenty odd years at the time you know and 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 it really really causes something in you to 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 start opening your eyes up to what's actually happening in the world and and taking a stand and choosing and deciding where you stand um, on some of these different um, topics and what what were some of the ways that it manifested in your life after that um, in terms of yeah is there yeah. something that you can point to. Um, you know, I started to notice notice how I was being treated. Like I remember, I went to um, to to Canada actually, mm. and and we I was so I was with two of my mates. So these 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 boys I grew up with, and I remember we walk into the store, and immediately this the staff just kind of looked at us. They kind of froze, looked at each other, and then they kind of went back to normal, but then they started to just sort of follow us. And that was super blatant. And that, and it, it totally caught me off guard because I'd never seen anything like that in my life or mm. experienced it. And then it, it kind of, on one hand, I was like, you know what? I, I'm on holiday right now. So obviously you've saved up a lot of money. I could totally like buy a lot of things in your store. At the same time, I don't want to do that because I just feel this this is just not right yeah. but also how do i react to it like i i'm not equipped to to deal with stuff like this so it really um yeah it just kind of left me in a in a very very sort of dark place like internally because I, that was i guess one of the very first times that i i started to to actually realize that i was different um and not necessarily in a bad way in hindsight but at that time though i was just like wow, this is really what people actually go through. You know, I used to think it was just a, a pipe dream that people will always like harping up about. But now I really do realize that it's it's a real thing, you know. And, hmm. and it's crazy. And it's like, it's a hard thing to experience, right? Uh, mm-hmm. uh, on, a to- on a totally different kind of wavelength, but a similar kind of experience in my life. I'm, I'm six foot two and mm-hmm. around about 100 kilos. And so I'm a big dude. Mm-hmm. And so there have been times in my life where... Um, I've experienced where people have 
women or kids, mm-hmm. uh, kids more outwardly, women more like have told me it's like, oh, I was actually nervous when I first met you because right? you're so big. I was kind of a bit scared of you. Wow. And I was like, I would not, I wouldn't hurt <laughs> a fly <laughs> ever in my life. And, and, and that's that feeling that you get mm-hmm. as a as a person when somebody looks at you with like oh, mm. that fear in their eyes or, or, you know, they grip something a little bit closer or they walk across oh. the other side of the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that happens and you just go, that doesn't align with who I am. That right. doesn't align with my intentions. That's not what I'm giving off to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why is it being received that way? And then at times also uh, for, for myself, I have to forgive those people because um, it's a case of that's what they're conditioned. That's how they've been mm-hmm. conditioned. And now it's a process of education. Mm-hmm. And I think something like Black Panther is an awesome education. Oh, absolutely. Because you get to see, you get to see it. I mean, T'Challa is, is a, an incredible king. And mm-hmm. he said, T'Chaka tells him early in the first part where he goes to the other plane, mm-hmm. He says, you're a good man and that's going to make it hard for you to be king. Wow. And, um, you know, I think that in 20, 2018 where we've got the world leaders that we do, yeah. uh, it's telling the truth in oh. a lot of ways. It is hard to be good and, and It really rule. is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, tell me, uh, curious again, mm-hmm. about what did you think about the world building of Wakanda? Like, what did you think about some, what were some of the best aspects of world building that Kugler put into the place. For me, one of the mm-hmm. big ones was uh, watching all the rafts go down uh, on the way to the first tribal ceremony where they're doing oh, the yes. battle for the king uh-huh. and seeing them doing the stamping on the uh, rafts and just that whole thing, like watching that take place immediately for me, good world building is like, show me more, like yeah. take me in there. I don't want to leave. Like let's let's hang out here for the next five hours, six hours. And yeah. Just show it, show it all to me, which is why I hope there are sequels. Mm. But were there, was there any other particular moments or scenes that stood out for you that was just like this is so cool? I want to know more about this place visually. Yeah, um, I think for me it was it was most definitely like the costumes mm. because again having grown up in Australia, I didn't see too much of that, and if I did before I. I um I moved to Australia. I just don't remember it because I was that young, you know. Mm. So so seeing a lot of the costumes and I remember the the dancing as well they were doing as they are sort of getting ready for for the for the battle, you know. That was just phenomenal to me because it it kind of um it it ignites, I don't know, it it it, it it does something to you on the inside. Like you, you get such joy when you see stuff like that because it's different and mm. um, it gets you curious. And, and I just, and I really love that. And I particularly enjoyed the fact that even like the language as well that they were speaking, mm. that's actually a language that exists right now in, in South Africa. It's one of the official languages, you know, or the, the, the costumes were influenced by, by actual tribes as well. And yeah. So the iconography based in real world. Right. Cultures, you know? Right? Yeah. So I loved how very close it was to the, to the real thing although the actual Wakanda is not real no everything else was you know and yeah. um and and yeah I just I just love that 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was so interesting because it was a real balance between kind of por- painting the picture of an uncolonized mm-hmm. Africa that never yeah. that had never gone through colonization, right? But then also reflecting the real world, also mm-hmm. reflecting the real iconography, the real accents, the real sort of languages. And I've had people, uh, criti- I've I've seen people online criticize the accent work done by the actors. Mm-hmm. But what I found really interesting was I read this article. Um, that was talking to Beth Maguire, who was the accent and dialect coach on set. Mm-hmm. That talked about how each actor brought their own primary accent that folded into the, and I'm gonna mess this up, but the Osa accent. I yeah. think that's what Osa, it is. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Um, that they were using as the base. Mm-hmm. So it worked to form each of the characters' own idiolect. Yeah, and yeah. and to me that's fascinating because so I've as I say I've grown up in Perth since I was four years old, mm-hmm. lived in Sydney the last six years. But I don't know how many times over the years I've been asked if I'm English or if I'm American. Mm-hmm. But very few people... Well, no, I mean, um, that's, a, that's an overstatement. <laughs> uh, but uh, not everybody thinks that I'm Australian okay. based on my, on my accent. And in some ways, I'm like, how on earth do you not realize that I'm Australian? Right. But then... <laughs> In other ways, it's just like, yes, everybody does have their own idiolect and mm. the amount of time that I've spent in speech and drama lessons or whatever has contributed to this voice that's not, ah, oh, g'day, mate, yeah, how are yeah, you? Growing right. up on the cane fields, that sort yeah. of thing. <laughs> um, so I think that that's kind of fascinating and the fact that even within Wakanda, there are separate tribes, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are separate roles that people fill and there are separate, it's like... It, Still, even in Wakanda, there are going to be working class people and there are going to be, you know, the royalty and stuff like that. And how do they speak differently? And it's okay if everybody doesn't sound the exact way that you want to. I think it works into this idea that we want everybody to fit into a very nice, neat little box Mm -hmm. so that Mm -hmm. we can categorize them and be like, you're like this. But so often I think if somebody does a perfect accent from wherever they're doing it from, Mm. it's not perfect because... You're supposed to sound like an individual. You're not supposed to sound like an area. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Oh, for sure, man. And like, um, and you know, I think that topic alone, personally, anyway, is such a small little thing compared mm. to the the bigger picture of what is actually happening. And and you know, what? acting at the end of the day, though, isn't it um, just a representation of your own personal representation of 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 a character? You know. Hundred percent. And and I think people completely miss the point because let's be honest, when you there's some movies that that you watch and the um, the, the the actors trying to do an Australian accent, and the thing just sounds <laughs> shocking, you know. Like um, what is it? I was I was watching Pitch Perfect, the third oh, one right. the other day, and you know just listening to Rebel Wilson's accent, and yet she's Australian, yeah. and then her father's accent. And I was just like, what is going on right now? Like you know. Uh, just but but I couldn't help just but just laugh at stuff like that because you know it it is how I guess she ideally would like to speak but I guess exaggerating it like that somehow made her feel more connected who knows <laughs> who knows what it was but as far as um the accents of of the characters in in um in Black Panther I I wasn't overly focused on that although at first it kind of caught me off guard how strong um T'Challa's accent was mm. compared to when he's actually speaking normally like in his normal American yeah. whatever accent it, it really caught me off guard but then I, I grew to to slowly love it because it it sort of helped 
integrate you into this this African culture. Into it, it helps take everyone on a journey because not everybody gets to experience like the African culture. And I think mm. this is probably the closest that most people in the world, if we're totally honest, will ever mm. get to, like the real Africa, you know. So yeah. um, well, yeah. hopefully not will ever get. Hopefully True. this starts a string of I, uh, you know, that's investing a good point. I do hope that more stories mm. and more movies. It'd be a grand shame if it was just a flash in the pan. That oh would man. Be yeah, almost the worst thing that could come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, okay, I have a couple of fun questions for you. Okay, who won the film for you? So who who, who won your heart? And if you give me a description, I'll be able to give you a name and an actor name. So I know that awesome. you're not the best yeah. at names. You're just like <laughs> that one. The yeah. <laughs> Because um, there were some there were some amazing characters in it. Mm, no, absolutely. I think definitely one person that that comes to mind immediately is is T'Challa's sister, Shuri. Yeah, there yeah. You go. Wow. So she's played she's by Le- on that. <laughs> <laughs> so Shuri was played by Letitia Wright. Tell me about it. Yeah, you know, I I absolutely loved her humor, but how she made being smart look cool. You yeah, know, being intelligent look cool, particularly for because she was also she's a young girl. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't think she's probably any older than like maybe twenty five at most, kind of thing. And and she made you feel normal. And and I and I think you know what there there are probably a lot of like young African kids out there that that are intelligent, but then sometimes want to hide that because the the the, the general stereotype is you're supposed to be this one certain way. You know, and I and I personally loved just how independent she was but also just how she was willing to create and just just have fun with everything and then of course uh, to, uh what's his name old mate um bodyguard the main character uh, uh t'challa t'challa's yeah. bodyguard oh that, uh, that general oh yes yeah, sorry <laughs> koya uh yeah danai guerrera yeah Wow, there you go. Yeah, I would have never remembered that. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I just loved how she stuck by her her belief system mm. because so many times it it almost speaks far more than 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 most things do. Because when you really think about what she did, she she stood by her values. You know, mm-hmm. she she wasn't willing to 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 change them just because there was a shift in in, in what was happening. You know, she. I guess she was always ready to to protect the king because that was her duty and that mm-hmm. was something that she she swore to do, you know. And and for me that that kind of spoke volumes because it it made me think about those moments in life where sometimes I'll I'll just compromise on this little thing because oh, you know what? I don't want to like ruffle up feathers or anything like that or how she was willing to to fight her husband or her partner mm-hmm. whatever, whatever the guy was, but she was willing to to hold on to to what she firmly believed in and um and that those two for me were were the winners. Absolutely love that answer um, for two reasons. One, you bring up the idea of Shuri. I mean, or the character of Shuri, mm-hmm. and the idea that she made being smart cool. Mm-hmm. And that's so that's such a good pickup because um, I hadn't even I, I've talked about this before, talking mm-hmm. about the movie and talking about representation, but I haven't actually hadn't actually picked up that it happened in the movie. Mm-hmm. If you want more female engineers or more yeah. female scientists show us more aspirational female engineers Absolutely. and female scientists so that the kids see it up there and go i want to do that yeah not i want to be you know a beauty blogger not that there's anything mm. wrong with that but i actually want to <laughs> work with vibranium or right. like yeah. oh, invent absolutely. these mad things. Yeah. What are those? That's right. <laughs> right? I was like, as if she just pulled that, you know? Like that I think when she did that, I was like, okay, she takes a cake. Like uh, she, she's gonna win. You know, and it also reminds me of um 
this is a, a movie, uh, Hidden Figures. Yep. You know, I I absolutely loved um, Taraji yeah. P. Henson's uh, character because she she was willing, like especially I think when she gets so frustrated that she has to go all the way to like, I think it was like the West Wing or whatever it was, to just to go to the bathroom mm. and then come back and then Kevin Costner's character is like, every time I look over, over your way, you're never in your seat. And then she just kind of like gets triggered and then loses uh, a <laughs> crap. You know, I, I loved that she, she was willing to, to just, you know, risk it all because it, it says something about, about where we're going, you know, like it, mm-hmm. for me, when she did that, I was like, wow, okay. She, she really stood up to, to the establishment, although she was just standing up to the one guy, she really changed something, you know? Mm. And, um, and I think sometimes we can take those little moments for granted. And, and I think Suri or whatever her name was, she did something similar for me as well, you know? I think um, what you touch on there is really interesting. It was it was brought up in a, an episode of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee, which mm-hmm. is one of my new favorite uh, shows on Netflix, even though it was made ages ago and not originally for Netflix. But mm-hmm. Jerry Seinfeld talks to comedians in cars and then they go get coffee. It's amazing. Right. It's all in the title. I love it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he and a comedian are sitting down in a cafe that mm-hmm. is like an old throwback 50s cafe. And Jerry says to him, why why always back? Why do we always go back? Why do we always vintage everything? And it always have to, has to be based in the past. Yeah, yeah. And the guy says to him, well, I think it's, I think, Jerry, I think it's because when we look back, we know what we're going to say. Hmm. Wow. And it was this really profound moment in this, in this otherwise just funny, lighthearted episode. Uh, and it's like when we look back or we look at what we know mm-hmm. or we look at what we think we know about people, about races, about genders, about stereotypes, about whatever, mm-hmm. and we only look about what we think we know, that's reductive. Right, right. At the end of the mm-hmm. day, it's going to be reductive. Like Whereas if we think about what's possible, you're never going to disserve somebody by seeing more in them than they see in themselves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And so... If whether it is the fact that Shuri saw in this character a chance to be an awesome scientist mm. or whether Taraji saw in that character a chance to be a full three-dimensional proud woman scientist yeah. as part of that NASA program, whatever, they're doing us a service because mm. those characters, those aspirational characters with aspirational personality points, I don't know. I just think that is a, a way of forging the future. For me, in a really fascinating way. And then the other thing that you brought up, Akoya, I love that you brought her up and I love that you brought up that about her personality, about sticking to her values. Mm -hmm. Because for me, one of the best moments in the entire film was an interchange between her and Nakia, who was played by Lupita Nyong'o, Mm -hmm. where she says, um, I love him. Nakia says, I love him talking about T'Challa. And she says, I love my country too. And then Akoya says to her, then you serve your country. And then Nakia replies to her, no, I save my country. Wow. And again, what I, and I got goosebumps right now. Look, proof. I love that. Yeah. There you go. Uh, What I love about that interchange Mm -hmm. is, and what I love about this film is it's an argument. Mm -hmm. Both sides are defensible. Mm-hmm. But for me, what I loved about Nakia was that it was like, yes, and that for me, that's what we have to have in 2018 mm-hmm. is we have to go, 
we have to look beyond something like blind patriotism right. or blind. And I'm not saying that Okoye was definitely blind because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. she decided to go against. She decided that protecting T'Challa, well, the, the fact that T'Challa was alive, she was like, no, that's my king. Right. That's who I'm going to defend. Yeah. That's who's Wakanda uh, is in the best hands of. Yeah, yeah. But um, in in 2018, we have to look past blind patriotism or blind adherence to our values, mm-hmm. and in some ways, go no, I don't serve my country. I'm going to save my country. Yeah. I'm going to do what because it takes nothing to stand with the crowd, but it takes everything to stand alone. Yeah, oh, and that's what yeah. they were willing to do there. Yeah, man, and it's is that is that question of of what are you willing to do? And then are you actually willing to do it? You know, because, because I think it's, it can be so easy to just, to just say, Oh no, I fight for my country, but then, and then you're not actually do it. And, um, and, and yeah, like I think, and for, with that specific character with, I forget her name already, but she, <laughs> Akoya. Akoya, like I, that is the one thing that, that really stuck out to me because, um, again just just thinking about everything else in my life like it i think it almost causes you to sort of reflect and in the best way i can i'm going to try and sort of paint what i'm thinking in my head mm. i was um i was watching a, a tv show the other day uh, called the crown it's on netflix yep. and yep. um and it's pretty much about like how queen elizabeth our current queen elizabeth becomes queen so her father passes away while she's in kenya i believe and and on her way back to england the queen mother sends her a letter and and in in, in right near the end the queen pretty much says to her that the as soon as you land you're going to land as as no longer as a princess but as a queen and you're going to be the ruler. But then something so beautiful uh, sort of comes out of this when she says uh, that the and you the two Elizabeths are always going to be in conflict because her name prior to her being coronated or whatever was Elizabeth. So then she decides to just sort of keep on, keep that name. But then she the, the Queen Mother says the two Elizabeths are always going to be in conflict, but the crown must always win. And, and that for me totally shifted everything because it's it, it sort of because it's that whole idea of what is right must always win and mm. and for me with with this well, Akoya, yeah. um <laughs> it, i love that she she always chose what was right and and especially mm. when when um when michael b jordan's character is like go kill him she's like no he's the real king why because he didn't actually lose he's still alive yeah. so technically he still is king yeah and when when i made that connection i was like wow holy crap just imagine had he actually died and all that fun stuff happened then she would have had to defend him against the very person that she she loved the most kind of yeah. thing you know and and it yeah it totally shifted everything for me man and um yeah powerful yeah I love that. I love that. I love this uh, whole conversation, man. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, in in kind of wrapping up, I kind of I wonder if um, wh- has this um, has, has the film uh, have you had a lot of conversations about this since uh, with friends with your community with uh, how is it how is it are there any ways in which you consciously go ah oh, this is gonna uh, this is I'm doing this from now on based on Black Panther, or has it not reached those far-reaching implications yet? Um, I'll say yes and no. Mm. Um, 
so I haven't had as deep conversations as I have had with you yet mm. because just because I've just been swamped with everything else in yeah. life. But but as far as the implications on myself go anyway, it, it really did start before the movie got underway where I felt like so proud and and for me personally I was kind of like why why am I feeling like this like you know like I it really got me thinking long before the movie actually started and then as I got to experience the journey with everybody else I I really got even prouder and prouder kind of thing and then now coming out of it seeing all these posts about people like dressing up like in in their um, most um, cultural attires like it that stuff gets me super excited and I, I think you know what if I'm totally honest growing up it was always something I kind of shied away from because again the 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 general understanding of like of African culture was oh you're colonized you're this and that and the other therefore you should just keep that stuff to yourself but mm. what I'm starting to realize now is that um, and I think since doing that uh, courageous conversation sort of course, mm. it, it has really awakened me to to accepting different. And and just to quickly wrap up, I I, I lived in America for a little while, and mm. and just talking with Americans and them being like, "Oh, you were actually born in Africa, not not Australia." They they got super excited by that because it because I represented something that they would love love to experience themselves just me having lived in africa whether Mm. or not i remember it they were so wrapped by that idea and wanted to know more about it and they really did teach me to accept difference and to accept being different so watching black panther and just seeing all those characters that for me has been the um i guess the solidifying factor that i need to begin to accept being different particularly when it comes to like african culture because everything else i can accept but then when it comes to myself and everything my beliefs and my background it's taken me a little while to sort of warm up to it so black panther has really allowed me to um to accept that this is the real africa and this is what it looks like and and i can be proud to be from there whether or not i remember it so um yeah wow I love that. Hey, have you been back to uh, Zimbabwe since you were 12? Unfortunately not. Any plans in the future? Yeah. So family and I are hoping um, end of this year, I believe. um, Unreal. I'm so excited about that. That's awesome. Uh, Tawanda, man, it has been a trip. I've loved this conversation. I had the best time. Thank you for coming in. I hope to have you back in again in future episodes. Absolutely. And um, yeah, until next time, buddy, take care. Thank you very much. We'll talk to you soon. I'll talk to you soon. And that is it for part two of episode one of the Black Panther Megapod, the first episode for season two of Netflix and Grill. I hope that you enjoyed it. I think that you can agree that Tawanda was an incredible guest, one that we were really, truly blessed to have on the show. Thank you, mate. I really appreciate you and everything that you do. Uh, I hope everybody out there watching it, if you enjoyed it, just give this a give it a share, give it a like, give us a rating and review over on iTunes. Those are all good things. Uh, and yeah, just just tell a friend. Just tell a friend. Hey, have you? Do you want to come over and Netflix and grill tonight? They'll probably misunderstand you and slap you across the face, but afterwards you can explain to them what that means. Just get them to put it in their ear ear holes and have a listen. (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. Have a great day. Uh, Don't forget that I have two other interviews that I did on this pod with More Blessing, Material Ray, and my friend Catherine Steele, which is part three. So if you haven't listened to those parts, feel free to check them out. Until next time, remember, keep it on Netflix and Grill.